Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 116, and I'm talking with Ben True. Ben recently won the New York City Half Marathon with a time of 62.39. This was his half marathon debut. He's known to be a 5K runner and actually went to school at Dartmouth and participated in track and field, cross country, and ski. He grew up as a Nordic skier and gave that up to run, gave running up to ski, and now he's back to running. He's married to professional triathlete Sarah True, and they recently launched a coffee company with Des Linden and her husband, Ryan Linden. Their coffee company is called Linden and True Coffee, and you can find them on social media at Coffee by LT. I had a great time talking with Ben. As you guys know, I'm venturing out and having some more male guests on the show. So this was a great addition to that. And Ben was really fun and easy to talk to. And I learned a lot from him. And you guys, it was super cute because as we were talking, his wife was competing and a half Ironman. So we were kind of checking in on her throughout the conversation. So that was really fun. Before we get started talking with Ben, I want to thank Prep Dish for supporting this episode of the podcast. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. Allison, the chef, she's also a dietitian, puts together a detailed grocery list for you to go pick up your groceries for the week and meal plans for you for the entire week. So on Sunday or whatever day is the beginning of the week for you, you get your meals together, you prep them, and you're good to go for the week. She offers paleo, gluten-free, dairy-free options, and the customer service over at Prep Dish is truly amazing. You guys need to check it out. Two weeks for free is what she's offering my listeners. Go to prepdish.com slash another to get two weeks free of this amazing service. When you support a sponsor of this show, you are directly supporting the podcast. So for that, I thank you. And thank you, Prep Dish, for supporting the podcast. If you guys are loving the show, I would appreciate a rating and review. If you haven't done that yet, please head over to iTunes or whatever app you use and do that real quick. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And you know I'm always trying to grow this show. So that is such a big help. All right, let's not keep you waiting any longer. And let's enjoy this conversation with Ben True. It's awesome. How are you doing? All right. Doing all right. Watching, uh, well, trying to follow my wife. Sarah is currently uh, in California uh, racing a, a 70.3 half Ironman. So trying to follow her uh, racing, but uh, having a little bit of difficulty because the, the, uh, the live stream is basically non-existent and trying to find bits and pieces of information to see how she's doing it. Very challenging. <laughs> what what race is it? I, that's crazy. She's racing right now. Like, is she on the bike right now? Where she, do you know where she might be? Uh, I just finished the uh, bike, so they're on the run. Oh. Um, just at the beginning of the run. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what? So what? it's a uh, Oceanside. Okay. Yep. How long do you think the the thirteen point one will take her? Um, I would guess about an hour twenty. Um, ideally just under an hour 20. <laughs> Are you just like going crazy wondering what's going on? Uh, I mean, I've, I've now watched a few of her, uh, or quote unquote watched a few of her races, uh, from the 70.3, uh, Ironman. And, 
they're so hard to watch that you can't really get too excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> she used to race the uh, the Olympic distance stuff, uh-huh. um, so the ITU, uh, and they had phenomenal coverage uh, with you know helicopters and drones and um, uh, motorcycles and all that, and so you could really watch it very well. Um, so it's kind of hard to get too uh, involved in the race where where it's just a it's an update every 10 minutes or so. <laughs> so, well, she's on my list to talk about with you, but is this like a big race or I, I don't even know much about triathlon season or like what's going on. Is there, what's going on with the triathlon world? Uh, it's kind of the, the start. Uh, it's one of the first big um, ones in um, the U S uh, but it's um, pretty early in the season still. Um, and so uh, it's, it's not one of the, the main, I mean, it's, it's a prestigious race cause it's been around for a while. Uh, but it's the, in another month, uh, there's a race in St. George, um, in, um, where is that? Just outside of Las Vegas. And that one's the North American championships. So that would be a bigger one. Okay. Um, but this one for her is just her first race of the year. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. She, yeah, she's on my list of things I want to talk about with you, but let's start with congratulations on winning the New York City half. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Tell me about, tell me about that experience. Were you surprised to win? Were you gunning to win? What did you think going into it? Um, I mean, every time I get to a starting line, um, my goal is obviously to win and Mm -hmm. try to win, um, I had never done, this was my, that was my first, uh, um, half marathon. And so, um, you know, not knowing exactly what I was getting myself into, uh, added a little bit of, you know, uneasiness and, and questionability, but I knew most of the other athletes in the field were training for a spring marathon, um, either Boston or London or Rotterdam. Uh, and so, I was um, hoping that they would be a little more tired than normal because they'd be in the thick of uh, marathon training. And uh, me being more of a track athlete, I'd have a little bit more spring in my step, especially in the later stages of the race. So I figured as long as they didn't um, break me at the beginning of the race, uh, I'd be able to outkick them all for the win. And Luckily, with the massive headwind that we had, uh, nobody wanted to push the pace early, so it just kind of fell into my lap, which was nice. So, yeah, you think that, that that worked in your favor then, like the, the headwind and the colder temperatures? and Because are you saying, like, do you feel like if it went out faster and the whole race, as the entirety of it was faster, it would have been more difficult for you to, to do that? Yeah, I think so, just because I don't have that same... Um, base of that longer grind that say the marathon guys have um and so they're used to grinding away for two plus hours where i'm used to more of 5k and 10k's <laughs> where you know it's 13 minutes or or you know 28 minutes so um yeah have, <laughs> making it making it uh you know a little easier at the beginning definitely uh made it easier for me <laughs> does grinding for two hours sound miserable to you Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, actually halfway through the race on uh, the FDR drive, 
I just th- th- thought to myself, man, there's no way I ever want to do a full marathon. <laughs> <laughs> but I probably will. I probably will. But, you know, I'd uh, hopefully be uh, properly trained for a full at that point. So it wouldn't be as bad. But watching what my uh, what Sarah, my wife, does, and she's training for a full Ironman now and racing for, mm. you know, nine hours. I just I just can't fathom that. That, that seems like no fun to me. <laughs> it's so long. I know. My husband's done one full Ironman. And I mean, it's, it's such a long day for spectators. I mean, let alone the person doing the actual race. It's so long to work so hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things though, for spectators, you know, you can watch them go swim and then you can go have a sit down breakfast uh-huh. and really relax and then, you know, watch them on the bike and then go grab a coffee. So, you know, it's a little bit, you know, well, a lot more laid back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the bike is so long. I mean, even if yeah. you're like a world-class athlete, 112 miles on the bike is no joke. <laughs> yeah. It takes a while. <laughs> it's a really long time. Well, let's, um, let's talk about your career a little bit because you, I find it interesting that you were a skier and that was kind of like even more of a passion for you than running. And so kind of tell us about that a little bit growing up and going to school and you went to school for skiing and running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Maine and, um, I always from a very little age, um, would go cross country skiing in our backyard or out through the woods and behind our house. Um, and, Honestly, I didn't even know that cross-country skiing was like a sport and that it was something that people did. Um, it was just something that we, you know, you did for fun. Um, but it was uh, probably when I was in middle school, I uh, remember watching, I think it was the Nagano Olympics um, and watching the you know cross-country skiing there and just becoming infatuated by the, by the, the sport and immediately wanted to um, start doing it. So I used to be a hockey player and I immediately dropped that for, uh, cross-country skiing. Um, but by that time I'd already been pretty established as uh, a runner. Um, my, uh, father was training for, I think it was the hundredth, uh, Boston marathon. And, um, so he was a runner. So, uh, running was something that I always wanted to do from a young age and was doing it through, um, a rec program. Um, and so those became my two loves and I was doing them. Um, but through high school, I realized that running was something that I was getting really great results in and it could open doors down the line, but it was something that I was doing because people told me I was good at it and I should do it. Whereas skiing was something that I did because I truly loved it and it was a passion of mine. Um, and so most people tried to have me pick running when I went to college. Um, but I just couldn't give up on the sport. And, uh, luckily after some, um, coercion, uh, with Dartmouth, they would, uh, they agreed, they weren't, uh, happy to agree at first, but they finally agreed that, uh, they would allow me to do, uh, both sports and, um, was able to do all through college, both of them. And, um, yeah, it was great. But you have uh, talked about how you kind of decided once you broke the four minutes in the mile, you were going to quit running and just focus on skiing. And then you and then you end up coming back. What tell us about all that and that decision? Yeah. So um, at school, um, 
I was really down on myself about running because I didn't see it as something that I enjoyed doing. Um, it wasn't something that I felt like I was doing for myself, but it was something that I was doing for other people. And so I started to really resent it. Um, skiing, on the other hand, um, I was having a blast with and really liking. And so I made the decision that uh, what was the one thing I wanted to accomplish in uh, the running world that after I accomplished that, uh, I would be fine stepping away from the sport forever. And that was to run uh, a sub four mile. And so luckily my junior year, um, I was able to do that um, by the slimmest of margins. And uh, I immediately decided that I wanted to take time off from uh, Dartmouth uh, and tried to just go full bore into skiing and went out to uh, Sun Valley, Idaho and uh, basically joined a professional ski club out there and you know, went all in for, for skiing, thinking I would never run again. Um, but it was during that time that I walked away from the sport and went full on on skiing that um, I actually, it was my first time ever being at altitude. And it was my first time, you know, getting all excited and really jumping into this massive training load. And I completely buried myself. And uh, so I could barely do any sort of athletic um things after this is probably after six months of training um and uh so something that my ski coach at the time would have me do is go out for these uh 10 to 15 minute jogs through the neighborhood just to uh keep the body loose and get the blood moving around and trying to limber up a little bit and that was basically the only training i was doing for a while and it was in those times when I was at my lowest and my low that I realized that running just felt natural to me. Um, skiing was something that I loved doing, but it was something that I felt like I was forcing myself to do um, as far as the technique and as far as, uh, you know, trying to get the most out of myself. I, I felt like it was a almost like a foreign language to me, even though I really enjoyed it. Whereas running was just something so innate within me that um, I realized that I had to take another look at it. And um, so after that, uh, I came back to the sport and um, luckily came back to the sport because it, I realized it was something that I wanted to do and uh, kind of switched back to running and forgot about skiing. It was one of those uh, <laughs> weird uh, switcheroos. <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds like you were running at first because everybody said you were good and you had to do it but then when you realized to do it for yourself is what made you happy is when it kind of clicked and you yeah, had to get away yeah. from it to realize that exactly exactly well yeah. what was it about skiing though that made you like you know when you when you ran away from running to go back to skiing what was it about that that made you think this is what makes me happy I mean if it was so I mean, it sounds like the technique and all that was more difficult for you than the technique and the challenges of running. To be honest, I don't really know what really drew me to skiing. It, um, you know, it's something where it's just incredibly challenging and taxing. Um, it's one of the most um, 
you know, cardiovascular, muscularly challenging sports out there. Um, and I think I really like that and to really be able to kind of go into the pain zone and really push through. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, the people, the community, the ski community. Um, and I don't know, it was just, it was just everything about the skiing, the, the, uh, there's a huge equipment and science behind it with the, the skis and the flex and the grind and the wax and all this other ski prep stuff that I kind of was able to geek out over. And, mm. and I really enjoyed that um, aspect of it as well. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a combination of all of it. Do you watch it like, like the winter Olympics this year? Did you watch it and do you pay really oh, close yeah. attention to it? Oh yeah. Yep. No, I still have a lot of friends that are on the, uh, U.S. ski team. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely follow them along and watching, uh, Jesse Diggins and Keegan Randall win a gold medal in the sprint relay was, uh, was amazing to the U.S. as, uh, the women have been kind of knocking on the door for, for these medals for quite a while. And, um, they've been getting some world championship medals and, uh, but they had never gotten a an Olympic medal and, and being able to see that was, uh, something special. Man, it just seems so hard. Like that seems like such a hard sport. Yeah. <laughs> well, the <laughs> saying the saying goes that uh, the the fittest athletes are the uh, cross country skiers. Um, they tend to have a, the highest VO two max and the you know all the parameters they they tend to score the best on um, for all around athletes. Would, I mean, you've done you've done two really intense sports at a really high highly competitive level. Would you agree with that? I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So after college, you went and ran for the Oregon track club and you weren't there long and you kind of lost your passion (laughs) again and then came back. So tell us about that experience. Yeah. So that was something that, um, kind of one of those, the grass is always greener on the other side, uh, type situations where I was here in New Hampshire and, um, being in college and, and not knowing what I wanted to do after college for running and looking at different programs and stuff. And, um, the Oregon track club is always seen as, you know, kind of the pinnacle of, of the, uh, training groups. And, um, they recruited me and it was one of those situations where, well, I'd be stupid not to go there. Um, and so, uh, Signed up, went immediately went out there and quickly realized that the it just wasn't for me. Um, I was I'm a very big homebody and I'm a very big New Englander, and so being on the other side of the country, um, I was just never at ease out there, um, and just the the culture of both Eugene and the culture of the team where you just couldn't escape the escape escape running um and it just it didn't jive with me and so I wasn't um I never relaxed and I was never able to be myself um and so it was one of those things I was struggling with that I was able to get all this amazing support I was a part of an amazing group of uh, people um the training was amazing the coaches the other athletes were all great Um, and so I kept thinking to myself, well, I'd be stupid to walk away from this. Um, and so I tried sticking it out as long as I could 
but eventually I realized, well, if I'm not happy out here and, and uh, you know, I'm not 100% enjoying what I'm doing, then what I'm, why am I here? Um, and so I decided um, that after, I think it was nine months, that um, I was going to move back to uh, New Hampshire where I was happy and, you know, hopefully um, be able to keep on running. And um, But it was something that I was uh, willing to take that risk. Um, and then just coincidentally and luckily, there was a training group that uh, formed in New Hampshire uh, with Tim Bro coaching, and uh, I was able to join up with them. And uh, so kind of the stars kind of aligned for me. But do you train a lot by yourself now? I do. Uh, so that training group in New Hampshire lasted a year, and then um, it was dissolved, but I stayed here. So for the last um, few years, I've been uh, training completely alone. What's that like? I don't. You don't hear professional runners who do that very often. I uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, there's positives and negatives to it for sure. Um, positives being that you know I can train exactly how my body is telling me. Um, so, for example, if I had a really hard workout and I go out for a recovery jog. Um, I can run exactly how my body tells me to do it. I'm not running with other people, and so I'm not trying to you know, necessarily keep up with somebody, either going slower or faster than my body wants it to do. Um, you know, I can be very individualized with, with my training. Um, if I go to the track and going to do a workout, but the body you know, isn't fully recovered from the last session, um, it's very easy for me to then walk away and, and try to get another day. Um, it's instead of trying to fit a rigid um, schedule that if you're a part of a training group, it'd be, you know, it, basically here's a workout, here's everybody showing up and say so you're going to do it then. Uh, so that part is, is good. Uh, but there's also a lot of negatives. Um, it's a whole lot easier to do workouts <laughs> with other people and it's a whole lot uh, easier and more enjoyable to, to, you know, have a training partner and to run with other people. So, um, yeah, it, it has its uh, positives and <laughs> negatives for sure. So am I right in saying that you're self-coached? Uh, not anymore. Okay. I am uh, working with uh, Ray Tracy now. I started working with him uh, this past fall. Okay. You were self-coached for a little while, though. Yep. yep. How was that, and why did, why did you decide to go back to a coach? Uh, yeah, it was it – was, an interesting experience. Um, I think for me and at my level, the challenge was, um, for me, it, uh, was an extra bit of energy, um, that I was constantly thinking over about workouts. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're constantly analyzing workouts, you're kind of, uh, wasting, you know, mental energy on that where it could be applied to something else. Um, whereas when you have a coach, they tell you to do it, you just go and do it. Um, and so that aspect, um, was challenging. The other one was, it was very hard to look at big picture when training by yourself or, and, well, both running by yourself and, and training yourself. Um, and so I was doing more, training for the next race as opposed to um, being able to back out and look at a bigger year-round picture um, just because you get you're in the day you know every day and you're an, over analyzing every single thing and so it's 
it's uh, it's it's harder to um, pull back from that. Um, and so I was able to have some success, but uh, I don't think I was able going to be able to get to where I wanted to be. Um, just train by yourself, and it's it's kind of lonely when you know you coach yourself and you train by yourself, <laughs> and you don't have that you know that team camaraderie of at least having somebody else in there that is uh, being a part of your journey. Yeah, I was going to say, do you, I know your wife is an, is a triathlete and more in the Ironman scene, but like, did you guys talk about workouts and stuff like that when you didn't have a coach or didn't have a team? Yeah, we would, uh, you know, discuss it, but in reality, our two sports are, um, while similar in some aspects are different enough that it's hard to really have, uh, neither one of us has a lot of, um, knowledge Mm -hmm. at the high end for the other person's sport. Um, so yeah, if, if I'm sure if, if I was trying to run a 30 minute 10 K, you know, my, my wife, Sarah could easily write me a program for it. But to try to get the, that extra, you know, little bit out of myself um, to run, you know, 27 minute 10K, um, then, you know, she just doesn't have the tools in her arsenal to to be able to get that out of me. And, and similar for, you know, me to her is she'll ask me for some workouts help for running and I can definitely give her some decent generalized ideas, but yet there's a big difference between running a 10 K fresh and at a, you know, at uh, very fast versus versus running it after, you know, biking and swimming. Um, it's a, it's a different animal. And so it's, it's hard to get to that, you know, higher last, you know, 2% um, doing it that way. So we, we can talk in generalities, but it's, it's, it's hard to really get down to the nitty gritty. Have you ever done a triathlon? I have not. I'm a, um, I'm a horrible swimmer. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah. I, can, I can get from point A to point B. I, <laughs> I won't drown. But, um, but other than that, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty ugly. Uh, Sarah says that no matter what happens in life, she knows that she will always be a much better swimmer than me. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a couple triathlons and the, my goal with the swim was just to like make it out of the water. And then I could start like trying to work hard. (laughs) I just like, just get, get to the end of the the water. Anyway, I heard her in an interview say that you were a pretty good cyclist though. Yeah, I really do enjoy cycling. Um, a lot. Um, it was something that I picked up, uh, maybe my senior year in high school. Um, and I completely fell in love with it and, I rode a lot through college and um, af- just after college, and um, it's it's something where if I knew about it maybe five years earlier, uh, that might have been my career path was to become a cyclist. Oh, wow. I like it that much. Um, so every year during my little time off in the fall from running, um, I hop on the bike and, and just go out and ride as hard and as fast as I can uh, <laughs> for about two weeks. And then I put the bike up and go back to running. <laughs> yeah, she was saying that you like kill a bunch of course records on Strava and people get pissed. And then you like don't, don't ride your bike again for like a year. Yeah, exactly. I actually uh, jumped on Strava to look you up after I heard that interview. And 
Um, I was just looking at your runs, which, by the way, it looked like you hadn't updated it since maybe December or something like that. Yes, I I haven't updated for over a year, two years maybe. I, I had put everything up and then I stopped and then Sarah was trying to get me to put something up like once a week, <laughs> which I did for maybe three weeks and then I stopped. So <laughs> something I'll have to try to get back into. <laughs> okay, so what was the purpose behind doing it in the first place and then not doing it? So in the first place... Um, I just thought it'd be cool for people to see exactly what um, I do for training. Uh-huh. Um, complete transparency. Uh, there's a lot of runners that or athletes that put some of their training up. Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of times when they put some of their training up, they only put the good stuff up or uh-huh. they um, kind of smudge the data points where you know they ran a repeats mile repeats in 425 but they call it running in you know 420 right mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that um, whereas I wanted to put raw data up there showing everything I, I did for a year and I just had a kind of a little experiment to, to see it and um so I did it. <laughs> it was that simple. Uh, after a year, I just figured, well, um, you know, it actually takes a little bit of work because uh-huh. um, people want me to explain exactly what I did and why I did it. And I don't know, it, it started to become a little bit of a hassle to make sure I did it all. Um, so I don't know, I, I stopped doing it, but, uh, I, I see the merit of it. I think I think a lot of people enjoyed it. People tell me all the time that they want me to come back on the yeah, travel. Yeah, so. let's rally that. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it definitely is time-consuming, though, if you get into all the nitty-gritty details and just, instead of just, like, uploading your Garmin, like, to explain the workout. And, yeah, it can definitely get time-consuming for sure. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to start a um, petition to get you back on with all my listeners. um but I was noticing when I was looking through it I was reading your times off to my husband and I was like it looks like so many of his runs are done between like 620 and 650 pace is that kind of like your chill pace yeah yep yeah Hey, everybody, real quick, I want to jump in and thank one of our sponsors. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Ben. I know I enjoyed it. I want to thank Four Sigmatic for supporting this podcast episode. Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushroom coffees and elixirs delicious and easy to do. We are loving the Chaga Elixir, the Cordyceps Elixir, and the Lion's Mane over at the Hine household. We also use the Superfood Blends pretty much every day in our morning juice. You've probably heard me say it before, but Ali Kiefer, who placed fifth at the New York City Marathon, is who turned me on to Four Sigmatic, and we are not looking back. Four Sigmatic is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your order. I encourage you guys to check it out. Just head over to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the promo code another to get yourself some mushroom coffee and elixirs. You won't be disappointed. Thank you, Four Sigmatic, for supporting this episode of the podcast. And let's continue my conversation with Ben True. Okay, I want to know, is the the 2013, the World Cross Country Championships, um, yeah. 
Is that like one of the best moments in your career? Yeah, that was something really cool. Um, so, uh, Tim Bro, my former coach, um, he always his his saying about cross country, uh, world cross country, is you sprint off the starting line as fast as you possibly can. Okay. And then after about 400 meters of all out sprinting, every the, you know, all the East Africans pull away from you and then you never see them again. <laughs> and then from then on out, you're just trying to not to blow up. And so uh, that was my, my feeling going into it, or my worry going into it. And I remember the course was, you know, ankle deep mud, ice, and, uh, it was, it was still snow on the ground. And I remember, you know, sprinting as hard as I can off the line, but realizing I was in the front of the pack and then waiting, always waiting for the whole pack just to pull away from me and taking lap after lap after lap that I was staying in the lead pack um and it was it was something pretty cool and then be able to finish uh individually be able to finish sixth which was uh, i think still the highest american finish in the last 15 and 20 years and uh also the coolest thing of having the team um u.s men finish second overall and uh beat kenya which is the first time ever that the american guys have distance has, has beaten kenya um, it was a uh, pretty special moment. Have you read the book? How bad do you want it? I have not. No. Well, it's a book. Is it good. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. It's kind of about the mental aspects of training, and um, it's by Matt Fitzgerald. But he has an entire chapter on that race. Did you know that? Oh, really? Oh, it, no way. Yeah, and um, so when I was like researching for this interview, and I was kind of reading about this I was like oh Ben he's in the book like he's the guy the, t the American <laughs> you know and so it kind of like it made it like play a picture in my head kind of because I'd read through that chapter and it was one of my favorite chapters in the book and I think at that point in the book he's kind of talking about the group effect because all of you guys were like so far up there but since you were the lead American did you know that all of your guys were so close behind you uh, I knew Chris Derrick was near me because I would see him every now and then, especially in the earlier laps. He was definitely running. We were running next to each other. Um, so I knew that he was up there. And then the coaches and the juniors and the women um, were, who were cheering along the course um, were relaying information back, being like, Ryan Vale is is moving up. Ryan Vale is moving up. Mm -hmm. I mean, not really information that I can do anything about, but uh -huh. <laughs> you know, uh, cool. To, you know, people were really fired about, up about the, uh, the team score and, and they were definitely trying to uh, relay that information to us uh, throughout the race, which was cool. So I, so I knew that the team was doing well. Yeah. So do you think that had a huge effect? I mean, I'm trying to say, is the, is the book proving to be true? Are you saying, do you think that had a huge effect on you holding on to where you were? Because at some point in the race, were you like, what am I still doing up here? And the fact that you were hearing that they were coming up and they were all doing so good, was it just like a team thing at that point? Like, I'm going to do this for my team too? 
I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, we're pro- we're proving we're proving the book wrong. I haven't. I I never thought about it that way. Okay. Um, so I'm an extremely competitive person. Okay. And I don't think that I could motivate myself more to get more out of me. Mm, okay. With any other information on the line. For example, I think that if you told me, you know. If I could get one more place with a million dollars on the line, I doubt there there's very few races in my career that I would be able to get that one other person because of that extra motivation. I think I, I'm, I'm self-motivated enough wanting to win and do the best that I am pushing as hard as I can. Okay, well, that brings up an interesting point because... You've mentioned that you don't really associate uh, running with pain. And, you know, I've done several marathons and I race recreationally, but I work really hard. And to me, the end of a marathon is like pretty painful. So, like, how do you disassociate that? And how does your brain work? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. That's what a lot of people ask <laughs> how my brain works. Um, so, I feel discomfort. Yeah. Um, I feel my body shutting down. Um, I feel that I can't get my legs moving any faster. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't call it pain. Um, because that feeling that I feel that I'm sure everybody feels, because we all feel the same thing, when um, running hard, I just associate that feeling as running and that is running. So that's not, not a good nor bad feeling. That is just the feeling of running. And so, um, it doesn't register as pain to me. Um, so now if I say I have an injury, say I, you know, have, uh, a hurt hamstring and I'm running. I feel pain then because my hamstring hurts and I associate that with pain and I may stop because of that, but it's from, you know, that acute, um, pain as opposed to the duress felt during running. Mm, yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of people and probably not so much professional runners because you guys have worked out this mental side of things a lot more than us common folk. But I think that a lot of the, with running, like you have this like fear of the pain. So like when you get to the start line, you're like, you have this fear of like how bad it's gonna hurt. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting because I talked to um, Bob Kennedy on this podcast and he kind of said, I said, are you, were you ever, did you ever have those feelings? And he said, no, I think I'd be in the wrong uh, sport if I had those feelings and I'm kind of he- ringing the hearing those same things from you with what you're saying like no you're not scared of how it's going to feel because that's just what it is it's not even pain right. it's just it's just what it is it's just yeah exactly the the fear that I get a lot is uh whether or not my body will shut down or not mm-hmm. and basically that just means that you know I've hit the limit. I just can't go any faster. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that is, that is the fear and, and, and reality you just, well, it is what it is and you either have it on a day or you don't have it on a day. Um, and it's all based on your training. Um, 
but yeah, that becomes the fear whether or not you you can you know kind of go the distance, um, but but not fear of the pain. Uh, what's the race that you ran the thirteen oh two, the track race where you like kicked it out at the very end? You like didn't know if you could catch the guy. Oh, uh, that was Peyton Jordan. I I honestly don't know what year that was, but yeah, against Hassan Mead. Yep. Yeah, I was. Uh, I watched that video and. <laughs> It's like before this interview, I was watching it and I started like cheering. Um, <laughs> and then my little boys came in the room and they were like, I want to see, I want to see. And then they started cheering too. It was really funny. Um, <laughs> but given on that day, do you think, cause like you were kind of like leading a little bit and then you kind of sat back for a second and then you like had this like crazy kick. Do you think you could have broke 13 minutes on that day? Um, I do. Yeah, that's a race that I kind of kicked myself about. Um, and I honestly uh, don't. Yeah. So that was a race that we the um, Jerry Schumacher's group um, uh-huh. now with the Bowerman Track Club. But at that point, they were the Oregon Track Club. Um, they set up that they wanted to run a hard first 3K uh, to get used to racing over in Europe. Um and so I was like, sure, fine, sounds good. And I found myself in uh, first place behind the rabbits, um, the pace setters, when the race, you know, got going. And that was not a position I wanted to be in um, because I wanted to try to save as much energy as possible. And so I knew that they would step off at 3K and I didn't want to get stuck with leading out the last 2K, which I ended up doing the year before then. Um, and so when the three, after three K I actually, um, ran a very slow lap. Um, when, when I led the lap, uh, trying to force other people to come around me Mm. and, um, then they came around and with 600 meters to go, I felt amazing. And I knew at that point, the two guys ahead of me, I could beat them. And I was just waiting to unleash a kick mm-hmm. um, to to win. And to be honest, I did not think about the time at all. Um, and so the idea of breaking 13 minutes that day wasn't even factoring in my mind. Um, and then, so with, you know, 250 meters to go, Hassan Mead, who I didn't even know was in our group, uh, comes blasting by and catches me off guard um and then i start scrambling to uh try to catch back up to him um and luckily i was able to do it by the slimmest margins but it was um yeah it was it's one of those races that if i didn't worry about trying to save myself for the kick you know it was 600 meters ago and i just went with 600 meters ago uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that we would have been able to run two and a half or three seconds, or I've been running two and a half, three seconds faster. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's a race I've I've always uh, kicked myself about. Has it changed your strategy at all with how you race? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you have to. So that race, I was running to win, and fearing loss 
So by that, I mean, I went into that race thinking, knowing I was going to win. And my job in my mind was just to make sure I didn't lose. Mm. And that's why I played it safe the whole way around. Mm. Um, And that's why I still had things left with 400 meters to go. And I was kind of slow playing it, waiting so that I I had a guaranteed victory. Um, And then Hassan Mead caught me off guard. Um, (laughs) But now I realize as I'm older that you can't run out of fear. You have to run wanting to win. And so the difference is it's now, in my mind, okay to lose as long as you're attempting to win. So... And and now I would rather try pushing with 600 to go hard and then maybe blowing up in the last 100 meters and a guy like Hassan Mead being able to outkick me. Um, I think that would be better because I'm able to get more fully my potential on the day out of myself doing that than, say, what I did at Peyton Jordan where I uh, soft ran it before the kick. Um, So... That has changed. Also, those perfect race situations where, you know, things kind of click, you don't want to waste those. Yeah. And for me, that, that day was a wasted, a wasted day. Um, and those opportunities do not come around often. Uh, and so you got to really take advantage of them when they do come around. Yeah, it's like you have to, like, realize it's happening right in the moment and be like, I'm, I'm not letting this slip just because exactly. of X, Y, and Z. So did you, um, I, I feel like with the half though in New, New York, you kind of couldn't have played that way because it was the longest distance you've ever raced. So you kind of had to like listen a little bit more to like hanging where you needed to be before you went out and kicked. Cause it's a little bit different kicking in the last 600 meters of a half than a 5k. Yes, it is very much different. <laughs> <laughs> what did you change about your training to, to uh, be able to do that distance, the half? Uh, so we upped the mileage a little bit, um, and really focused on longer intervals. So doing more mile and a half and two mile repeats, as opposed to doing like K or, uh, you know, mile repeats. Um, so going the extra distance on, on the repeats and doing some longer tempos. Um, those were the the big key changes. Did you enjoy it? Like the longer training? Yeah, I mean, I think it's stuff that you'd I'd want to do at that point of the year anyway, so mm-hmm. it really worked out well. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it was nice. Um, a little bit, a little bit different things. A little, it's a, it's a little bit different running, you know, um, five thirty two Ks than running, you know, forty four second three hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a little bit different. Uh, and uh, it's always nice to change up the training and change up the stimulus to to make sure that you keep your body guessing and you're you know you can keep busting through little plateaus and keep improving. What did you peak your mileage out um, for training for New York? Uh, I don't really know. So Ray, my new coach Tracy, he um, doesn't really believe in weekly mileage, oh, and so okay. he doesn't really believe in in counting the mileage. Um, he also, 
works on more of a 10, 12, or 14 day uh, cycle as opposed to a seven day work uh, week cycle. Mm-hmm. And so can be kind of challenging to really see. So like average for, you know, uh, probably the last three month average um, probably was around 105. Um, but in a, a seven day cycle, like in a seven day, seven day cycle. Period. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but I probably would have a high of, you know, upper one teens, like maybe mm. 118, mm-hmm. um, just under 120. Um, and then I would have, you know, a down seven day period that might've been like 95 miles or something like that. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit harder to, to be able to count that way. <laughs> but is it significantly higher than what you do for uh, specialized 5k training? Uh, for specialized 5k, I tend to be around 95 to okay. just over a hundred. So yeah, a little bit, a little bit more about 10 miles a week more. Um, Yeah. Okay, so everybody's, I'm sure, asking and wants to know, like, oh, you did the half marathon. You won. You were the first American to win that race in 13 years. It's a big deal. Um, And you're probably sick of hearing it, but, like, when are you going to run a marathon? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At some point, it would be nice, but not for any time soon. I think the the marathon seems like such a cool event, and, and it's you know, a lot of people see it as, you know, a culmination of the, of the sport for whatever reason. Um, yeah. but it would be nice to have a go at it. Um, while I'm still fit and I can still run a fast marathon, but to be 100% honest, I don't think the marathon is my event. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's not something that I want to go to soon. Um, I'm, I'm a fairly large guy, um, that has a little bit of leg speed, and so I just don't think my best event is the marathon. Um, and so I want my uh, prime running years to be focused on more of my better events. Okay, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You, yeah, you've mentioned you're a larger guy, but can you give us like an idea? Because uh, in the running world, obviously a slider figure, you run faster, the lighter you are. It can be a yeah. little bit easier. So how tall are you? How much do you weigh? Um, six feet tall and usually around, uh, 165 pounds. Oh, you're like the exact same size as my husband. That is big for a 5k runner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? I'm, I would never be allowed to ask a female that same question. Would I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my, at least, uh, you know, they, they look, they look funny at you and, and, and yeah. not really want to you answer can't, it. <laughs> you can't ask me that. That's not allowed. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to tell, like, you know, when we see you on TV or whatever, we see uh, pictures and stuff like that. It's really hard to tell unless you're like right in front of the person. What is big and what do you mean by that? And how, how uh, much larger than the rest of the field are you really? So, um, yeah, I mean, if you watch one of the diamond league track races uh-huh. that, that I'm in, um, I'm frequently the only non East African born runner. Um, and I probably, the next largest runner is probably 30 pounds lighter than I am. That's a lot. I I usually, I usually stick out like a sore thumb, (laughs) um, in those, uh, those fields. Yeah. That, yeah. 30 pounds. I mean, that's a lot of extra weight to run a 13 minute 5k. 
Yeah, so um, a buddy of mine a few years ago trained with me. His name was Sam, or is Sam Chalanga. Um, and uh, he um, is a Kenyan-born, he's now a naturalized American citizen. And he weighs um, 50 pounds less than I do. Uh, I mean, 50. he's a few inches shorter than I wow. am. Yep, 50. 50. And so we'd always be running along and we'd be running up some big hill. And I'd always go in and be like, I can't believe that. Just think, you have to wear a 50-pound backpack to, to equal what I'm dealing with right now <laughs> trying to run up this hill. And then he always come back, well, you have bigger muscles, so, so it all cancel each other out. <laughs> and we're getting these big arguments. <laughs> so you, I hate to bring up anything sad, but you didn't make the 2016 Olympic team, and you were really like a favorite for the 5K. Can you talk about moving on from that experience and what that felt like? Yeah, um, it was really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I finished 2015, um, finishing sixth at the World Championships in Beijing and finishing the year um, ranked um, sixth in the world. And so I was really excited about, um, you know, possibilities of Rio and hopefully, you know, improving on that and doing well. Um, but, yeah, it just didn't come to be. Um my training that year wasn't very great. Um, I was injured at the beginning of the year and kind of tried to rush my way back into fitness for um, the Olympic trials and um, then the Olympic trials and made the grave error of trying to run both the 10K and the 5K, um, something I did, did the year before um, with great success. And I figured I could do it again. Um, but I think just the um, different training leading into it and just maybe all the excitement and the nerves of the trials, the, those doing those two races was terrible idea. And so mm. the 10 K was first and I, uh, it was a terrible race. I was um, extremely dehydrated and um, overheated and um, I kept running um, because I thought that if, I dropped out of the race. I wouldn't be allowed to come back for the 5K. Oh. Um, which other athletes did drop out of because they knew better and they had actually, you know, know the rules and stuff. And so they were <laughs> able to come back and be a little bit fresher for the 5K. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I just, um, the 5K came down to a sprint and there was what, five of us all within a half a second. And uh, I was one of the five that was on the wrong side and yeah it was it was disappointing um but yeah it was it took me quite a little bit to try to get over it um but you know something like the olympics is not something that defines you and and sport itself is not something that defines me and so um it's a little bit easier to walk away it, it's a it was a major goal of mine um, but you know, it's one of those things that, uh, it, it wasn't able to do it, you know, I wasn't able to do it and, you know, you can't, you can't, um, beat yourself up too much. I put all my effort into it and those other guys were just faster on the day and I have to accept that because that's sport. So are you, it's 2018. Are you thinking you're going to go back at it and just do the 5k for the 2020? Uh, it's a good good question. Um, 
I do not know. So um, my plan for this year and next year is to focus on the 5K, uh, but I also want to run a few 10Ks on the track. Um, and then come 2020, I will probably do just one of the events, mm-hmm. but it may be the 10K, um, depending on how where my training is and how my, you know, what what my coach feels is best suited for me. Yeah. Um, but yes, probably just do one of the events. <laughs> does that half marathon success that you just had, does that kind of like make you think maybe the 10K makes more sense now or does that not factor in at all? No, I don't think that really factors in. Um, the running on the roads um, versus running on the track is quite a bit different. And so we'll see after this year, uh, I'll be doing a, a 10K on the track as my first track event of the year. Um, and then I'll be switching over to 5Ks for the remainder of the year. And so once I get on the track, I'll have a better idea of how, how things are. You're not running the Boston 5K, are you? I am, actually. You are? I am. Yeah. Well, because you um, you broke the American record on the road in 2016, and then you broke your record again in 2017. So are you trying to break it again in 2018? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. It gets, it gets harder the more times you do it, you know, so <laughs> I'll try. Are you, so is that Saturday? Yes. Saturday okay. morning. Yep. Okay. Cause I'm coming to Boston, but we're not flying in until like the afternoon. So I'm sad. I'm going to miss uh, the race. I won't get to see it. Uh, are you running the Boston Marathon? Um, no, I'm like 22 weeks pregnant right now. My husband is oh, running. Oh, wow. All right. Cool. Yeah, so I've run it a couple times, and he's run it. This will be his second time. So I'm, like, head cheerleader, spectator extraordinaire this year. I'm excited. Very nice. Well, if you are going to be in Boston, yes, you'll have to you'll have to swing by uh, the track house on Newberry Street. Okay. Um, which is um, where is it located? Two. 45 Newberry Street, I want to say. I'm just pulling that out of my head, so I don't know if that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, but myself, as well as Ryan and Des Linden, will be serving our coffee. We started a coffee company called Linden and True, and we'll be handing out free coffee to everybody um, on Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday morning out of the track house. Well, I saw that, and I was going to ask you about the coffee roasting, but... Um, do you guys have like a time you're doing like a people should stop by or will it just kind of be there all the time? Cause obviously you're not going to like stand there for three days. Right. So, um, we will, our goal is to have coffee available from open, which is 8am until roughly 1pm. Um, we probably won't be there that entire time. We're going to be trying to be there for majority of that time. Um, but, uh, yeah, our, our goal is um, we will probably be there at least from 8 to 10 every day. And okay. then maybe we'll hop back in, you know, between, you know, 11 and 1 or something like that. But we'll still have coffee available. Um, and then on Tuesday, it will be from 9 a.m. to 11. Uh, we'll be there. Um, so you can talk talk about your uh, racing experience or your spectating experience. And, uh, then there's actually, will be a recovery panel at 11. Um, so there'll be a bunch of athletes, myself included. They'll be on this panel talking about, um, 
proper recovery um, and stuff like that. Well, now you're going to, now you're making me want to try to get this episode out before Boston so people can hear all this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because like Saturday and Sunday, like after your race, you're done like with your race and then Des has to race still on Monday. So she's probably like not I don't know. She probably not. Gonna Ryan work. will be doing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Got some stuff going on. Doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as, uh, Ryan and Des has said that, um, Des enjoys Ryan's company. Um, but leading into a major marathon, uh, a lot of times is best if Ryan gives her some space. <laughs> and so Ryan says it'll actually work out perfectly for him just to be at the track house and that, you know, oh, he's there if Des needs him, but he's also out of her hair so that, you know, <laughs> everybody can prepare for the race how they need to. So are you guys doing this as a business though? Or is it, cause like it was a hobby, but now is it kind of like, it's kind of turning into like a real business thing, huh? Yeah. So, I mean, we are all still racing. Um, yeah. for the foreseeable future, Ryan included. Um, and so it will become a business, but it's going to be very, um, limited, uh, coffee sales. Yeah. So, um, for a while we're really going to try to push, um, education about coffee, um, and, you know, proper brew methods, um, and try to just share the passion of specialty coffee with people. We will also be rolling out a monthly subscription uh, for coffee so people can sign up and get um, a bag of coffee delivered to them every month. Um, And that will be starting pretty soon. Um, And then we're hopefully going to have, on top of that, limited uh, maybe once a month or once every other month, we'll just have a bunch of bags that um, will be up on our website for anybody to buy that aren't part of the um subscription model um so that's that's our that's our goal for at least the next year and um then hopefully be able to get more and more uh just coffee retail online so that people can check us out whenever they want and buy a bag of coffee whenever they want well that's exciting yeah yeah i um also i wanted to ask you about the coffee and the eating and everything you've kind of mentioned like you don't do like Gatorade and energy bars and things like that. Like what, what's your like theory on nutrition and training and all that? Uh, yeah. Um, it's pretty simple. Um, just eat real food, you know, that, that, you know, grows in nature and, you know, was alive at one point. Um, (laughs) and, uh, that's basically it, you know, eat, how I want. There's nothing I um, restrict from my diet because of performance or anything. There are things that I don't eat because I don't like them, but nothing that I, you know, restrict from my diet um, and eat when I'm hungry and don't eat when I'm not hungry. And that's, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> try to cook as much food yourself as possible yeah. um, and try to make everything um, from scratch when possible. Um, but yeah, it's basically just eat real food. All right. So are you nervous about Boston? Excited about Boston? What, what kind of feelings do you have going into a race like this, the 5k? 
Uh, this 5K is always just fun. I've done it for a lot of years. Um, and to be honest, racing is almost secondary for this um, event um, because being a part of a marathon, a world marathon major weekend is yeah. just phenomenal. Um, just the energy and the atmosphere and all the runners coming to one area. Um, it's really cool. And And yes, there's, you know, I don't know how many thousands of people that run the 5k, but really the focus is the marathon. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, really neat just to be a part of it in any way. But, you know, even when I'm there racing on Saturday in my head, I'm excited just to watch the race on Monday. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a, it's just kind of a carnival, you know, fun experience to be a part of. So seeing as how you're like business partners with Des now, is she, are you like rooting for her to take the W? Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do yeah. our end of the podcast questions and I'll let you go. Sarah's probably like finishing the half, the half Ironman now. The uh, female winner just finished. Okay. Um, so Sarah's been running in third. Okay. Um, she has yet to finish. So hopefully she hangs on to her podium finish. She's going to finish nice. like while I'm asking you these questions. Is probably, that... probably. <laughs> is that okay? That's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking, of, I was like looking at the time tick by. I'm like, okay, we've been on for like an hour. She's definitely in the last like mile or two or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. What's one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done that you'd like to do? I would love to qualify for an Olympic team. I've never, never done that. My wife's done it twice. Um, and so it'd be nice to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. When she, yeah, she ran, she did London and, and Rio. Was that yep. kind of like, not redemption for you, but what, did it kind of like sweeten the Olympics a little bit, even though you wanted to be there yourself? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was nice to be able to be there and, and, you know, be able to support her and have her go through it. So, so it was, it was nice. She had a great, so she was actually qualified for it the year before. Um, so it kind of takes all the nerves out of it because oh, yeah. she already had the team that be on the team that whole year. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was cool. We stayed um, right on Copacabana beach because that's where the triathlon started. So um, she didn't stay in the dorms at all. Um, so it was nice so that I could stay with her the whole time. Um, the whole U S triathlon team stayed in this one hotel. And so, yeah, it was, it was cool to be a part of. We have to, I'll have to get her on the podcast one day. Yeah, definitely. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, I mean, I think we talked about it earlier, the, the, uh, 2013 world cross country yeah. championships, both because I didn't think a top 10 was feasible and yet I was able to do it. Mm -hmm. And also because I'm somebody who trains by themselves and runs by themselves and is a very individual um, sport person, but to be able to be a part of a team for that um, week was uh, amazing. And then to be able to have the team finish second was just unbelievable. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Have fun, keep things enjoyable. Um, make sure that you real, you know, the reasons why you do things and uh, make sure that you're enjoying uh, what you do. What do you love to do outside of running and skiing and roasting coffee? Oh, I was going to say roasting coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I really le 
uh, lead a very boring life. Um, <laughs> I, no, in all seriousness. Um, so my philosophy um, as a professional athlete is Saucony, in my mind, pays me um, not necessarily to endorse their product and not necessarily because uh, for me to train and to run fast, but really for me to be able to recover um, because recovery and rest is the most under uh, appreciated aspect of training and that you can't uh, you can't ever improve uh, the proper recovery and rest. And so most of my day is just lounging around and trying to make sure I'm fully recovered for the next session. So I really honestly do live a very boring life and and I have to measure myself out for excitement on, uh, you know, small doses, but then I'll have to immediately be able to recover afterwards. So what, that is the one thing that I am eventually looking forward to down the road when I retire is being able to do all the things that I want to do now, but aren't able to because I have to keep recovery as the pr- uh, primary focus. How many hours a night do you sleep? Uh, I usually sleep probably 10 hours a night and then maybe take an hour nap in the middle of the day. Wow. I can't even. I mean, I (laughs) I also can't imagine training at the level that you train at, but um, I I have three little kids. So like the thought of sleeping 10 hours a night, I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, What? uh, So, but like, since you do all this laying around, do you read a lot? Do you watch a lot of shows? Like, you know what I mean? Because you're not always sleeping when you're resting. Yeah, um, I watch very terrible TV shows, as my uh, (laughs) wife says. Um, She's appalled by most of the TV shows. What are they? Um, So, one of the ones that she's the the least happy about (laughs) is uh, I watch every episode of Gilmore Girls. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, and as uh, we had a uh, buddy of mine, Brian Schrader, who, who runs for Saucony, he stayed with us many times. And his comment was, you know, those TV shows that you see commercials for and you just think who would ever watch that in their right mind? Those are the shows that you watch, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I, I watch some terrible TV shows. I also think I watch some good TV shows or some good movies, but I, I watch a lot of terrible TV shows. What's one that you think is good that you think that people will respect you for? One that is good <laughs> for your TV watching. Um, I really like the HBO show High Maintenance. Okay, I think that's an amazing view of uh, New York City. Okay, all right, I'm gonna yeah. check it out. We have we we uh, rip HBO Go off my father-in-law. So we'll, I'll check that one oh, out. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's just so funny to me that your wife is the one that calls you out for watching the Gilmore Girls. Cause I've watched it and my husband used to always make fun of me. He'd be like, Oh my gosh, you're watching this again. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best, yeah. most recent book you've read? Uh, so I just finished, uh, the Monk of Mocha, uh, which was a great story about Yemeni's coffee. Um, and also the Yemeni war. Um, so that was really cool. Um, I'm currently reading, um, what's it called in the heart of the sea, the story of the whale ship, uh, Essex, um, and about being rammed by a sperm whale and then cannibalism and stuff. And, uh, so yeah, that's what I'm currently reading and enjoying. 
You're going to have to put How Bad Do You Want It on the list since you're like uh, yeah, featured in so. the book. You're like For an sure. entire chapter of the book. <laughs> <laughs> do you have uh, Do you have a nonprofit you love to support? Yeah, um, I've supported um, Safe Passage um, a lot over the past few years. Um, it was founded by a woman in the town I grew up, um, and it supports uh, students in Guatemala, um, and also it has now expanded to help uh, with night school for the parents of these kids um, to try to um, raise the education of these underserved um, poor communities that basically are people who are just living in one of the largest um, city dumps in the world um, and trying to better their lives. Oh, that's awesome. And someone you grew up with founded this? Yeah, I mean, she was a few years older than, than I am. Um, but yes, she was she uh, was from that's my area so cool. in Maine. All right, yep. so do we have a finish time from Sarah? Uh Four hours, 21 minutes, and 53 seconds. So she officially finished third. Third. So okay, great. good. So is she going to yeah. be happy with that? I hope so. Yeah. The first race of the year. Yeah. yeah. That's you awesome. Know, she, I'm sure she will be slightly disappointed she didn't win because she's a very competitive uh -huh. person, too. But getting the podium is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Well, um, sorry we went a little bit over, but I thank you so much for your time today, and, and I very much enjoyed getting to know you and hearing more about your story. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Good luck in Boston. Oh, thank you, and good luck to your husband in Boston. Oh, thanks, and congrats to Sarah today. Oh, yes, thank you. All <laughs> Even right. Even though I did so much to help her. You did. You were, you talked through an entire interview, interview. Can you imagine the pain she was in while we were talking? <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, well, I'm going to try out the coffee, too. It's it's called um, True Linden, or is it Linden True? Linden and True. Linden yeah. and True Coffee. Okay, because I saw the Instagram yeah. post. Okay, awesome. Yeah. All right, well, enjoy your time in Boston, and we'll talk soon. All right, thank you. Uh-huh, bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Ben, for coming on the show and sharing your story. I loved learning about your training and what you are up to. You guys can find Ben on social media. On Instagram, he is Ben J. True. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. Make sure you join our Facebook group. It's all have another podcast with Lindsay Hine over on Facebook. That's where we have a more tight-knit community. We also read a book together each month, though not necessary. Don't feel like you have to read the book to join the group. And that's where we kind of get to know each other a little bit better. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Lindsay Hine over there. And we've got a Facebook page as well. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. If you are looking for more content from me, you can find that over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine where I bring on returning guests and also do episodes with my husband. We are about to record a post-Boston episode with him here in the coming week. Thanks everybody who joined my meetup in Boston at Lamplighter Brewery. It was truly so much fun and I loved getting to know so many new faces and hanging out with so many faces I've known for quite some time. One last thanks to Prep Dish for supporting this episode. Head over to PrepDish.com slash another and use the promo code another to get a free two-week trial on their services. And thanks for Sigmatic for supporting the podcast. 
Head over to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another to get 15% off your order. Links to everything we've talked about today will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, guys, enjoy your Friday, enjoy your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.